All right, hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series and Podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Charles Jacobs, President of Americans for Peace and Tolerance, join us to discuss Islamist anti-Semitism, where are America's Jewish leaders? Dr. Jacobs will speak for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Dr. Charles Jacobs. Thank you, Stacy, for having me. Um, I, let's begin by saying that the failure of Jewish leaders to deal with Islamic anti-Semitism uh, is not their only failure. It's part of a larger failure, and, and, and uh, we'll, we'll discuss that in a minute. So let's start. I have a slideshow to show you. I'm going to walk you through it. Um, uh, so, so Jews across America are um, are faced with a surge of anti-Semitism. And uh, in fact, the, the numbers are, are, are daunting. Uh, FBI statistics show that a Jewish person is twice as likely to become a victim of hate crime than a Muslim or a black person. Um, this is if you do the numbers proportional to the, uh, to the group uh, representation of the population. And a Jewish person is four times as likely to be a victim of a hate crime as an Asian person, and 20 times as likely as a white person. And the pattern of this uh, onslaught, really, I mean, you can see uh, videos every day of Jews, almost every day of Jewish people being beaten up in the streets of New York. Uh, yesterday, there was a, a vicious assault on, uh, on an obviously Jewish man by black uh, thugs. So, the, so what is the pattern of this? It is a perfect storm. And um, if, you, if you take a look at where, these, where this animus is coming from, it's coming from four ideological camps, very large and powerful ideological camps. Um, the first is the white supremacists and the ones that we would expect, the neo-Nazis. Um, and you see there's a, red, there's a green check mark there because it means that that is the one that most Jewish leaders uh, will attend to. Um, it's the easiest thing for them to attend to that. No one's gonna argue with them that Nazis are okay or that they really don't hate Jews or white supremacists uh, should get a pass. The problem is with the other three, because in the other three, these are politically incorrect sources of Jew hatred. So you've got at the bottom, uh, the black supremacists, and Farrakhan is the biggest uh, exemplar of that, the leader of that. Uh, and then you've got radical anti-Zionists, and these are left-wing people who think that the Jews shouldn't have a state, or if it should have a state, it should be tiny and undefended, and that it is uh, committing, it's the cruelest among nations, and it's committing human rights abuses far worse than anything that Russia ever thought of doing, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and then, of course, you have the Islamists. Well, this is the problem because the Jewish community organizations that are meant to, that whose mission is to defend the Jews, are AWOL pretty much when it comes to these three things. There are no neo-Nazi uh, professors on college campuses. Uh, the people who are beating up Jews on the streets so far mostly aren't neo-Nazis, although they, they do have become the most uh, murderous because they come in with guns. But in the but 
but society is not going to accept um, Nazis and white supremacists. I mean, none of them are going to get a pass from anybody. And then, of course, are the uh, Muslims or Islamists um, and, their, and their Jew hatred. And that is the one that is just about most sensitive not to touch when it comes to those organizations in the Jewish community, the Anti-Defamation League, the Jewish Community Relations Councils, uh, the uh, Federations, the American Jewish Committee, uh, et cetera. They don't want to touch this. So let's, I want to bring you through a story that I've lived through here in Boston. And through that story, you'll get a sense of what happens. Okay. So in 2004, uh, we got wind that the largest mosque on the Eastern seaboard was about to be built. And it was going to be bigger than anything else, uh, even than the one in New York. And the Boston Herald did a spate of reporting in which they found that this mosque was going to be founded, funded, and run by the Muslim Brotherhood. Okay, so what did they say? Here are the people that we learned uh, were coming to Boston. Um, first, there was uh, the founder of the Seed Mosque, which was in Cambridge, that all this came from. The founder of that mosque was Abdul Rahman Alamudi. And the Boston Herald found out that he was in jail. He was in jail because he was caught with a suitcase full of cash at an airport and he was convicted and he pled guilty and he was gonna be in jail for 23 years because he was plotting to assassinate the Saudi crown prince Abdullah. According to the federal authorities, this man whose mosque was gonna become the mega mosque uh, was the most important of Al Qaeda uh, fundraisers in the United States. The next person we found on the board was Osama Kandil, um, who the Herald's research, um, open source research, research search found was uh, a Muslim Brotherhood leader. Um, then there was a man named Walid Fatahi, who was fabulously wealthy. Uh, uh, I think a, a, his family was in the jewelry business. Um, his funding um, was in great part what the mosque depended upon for its construction. And he was given the job to reach out, to do outreach to the uh, Jewish and Christian and ethnic minority peoples in the Boston area to do dialogue, uh, interfaith dialogue. The funny thing about him though, is that he was writing anti-Semitic screeds in Arabic papers. Finally, we have Yusuf Karadawi. Yusuf Karadawi is the spiritual leader of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, anyone here can do five clicks on their keyboard and find him speaking to throngs of people, used to be in Cairo, could be anywhere, has a huge following on the internet, telling them that the Jews must be killed, the Holocaust was divine punishment for, for their sins, et cetera, et cetera. So you can imagine, we who found this out were pretty upset. And uh, what we did was we called an emergency meeting of uh, the Jewish leadership in Boston. And this was, you know, the, the heads of the Anti-Defamation League and the Federation and the American Jewish Committee and the, and the JCRC. They all came and much to our shock and dismay, uh, they were gotten to before, before we met them. They'd already met with uh, Fatahi and the leaders of, uh, of the mosque. Uh, 
who had convinced them, these Jews, Jewish leaders, that um, they could be partners, they could be partners and they were moderates really, uh, and that they could partner with the Jewish community in its concerns about religious freedom and in all of its programs, because we have a lot of those on social welfare. So this would be a good thing and then we should do interfaith dialogue and uh, the Jews should help them come in to, um, into the community and the Jews should vouch for them. Now, the Jews were taken. Uh, this was the Jewish leadership. They were had, and this was a huge prize for the, um, for the Muslim Brotherhood folks here, because after all, if the Jews who had really the most skin in the game uh, said that this mosque and its people were kosher, well, then a regular Bostonian would say to himself, logically, well, then they must be okay because of course they know more than we do. Um, and it didn't matter what we showed to the leaders of the combined Jewish philanthropies, the ADL, etc. It didn't matter. We sat around the table and we brought them to our homes and we brought them through all of the uh, uh, additional evidence. For example, um, there is a, uh, on their website, on their website, there was a how to beat your wife uh, panel. There it is, how to beat your wife. Uh, do you know how to beat your wife? By the way, you, 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 you should not hit her in the face. Um, uh, you should start, first of all, if she did something to displease you, you always, as it says, you can read it, hang up the whip where members of your household can see it. If she does something to displease you, you first uh, uh, restrain yourself from uh, taking to her bed. That's the first punishment. And then you beat her on the ankles and then uh, on the legs, et cetera, et cetera. But so we showed this to, <laughs> I mean, the Boston Jewish leadership has to be the most pro-feminist bunch of people that you ever met. Didn't, didn't face them. Next, we showed them checks that came from um, the mosque to terror organizations and that came from terror organizations back to the mosque. Nothing helped. Uh, they said to us, well, we're gonna give them the benefit of the doubt and you know they'll come to know us and like us and, uh, because we're likable. And uh, if we're good to them, they'll be good to us. This is what we're gonna do. And besides, what else could we do? Because dialogue is the only thing that's possible to do. And we urge them and urge them. And I beg the leaders, I beg the head of the Federation, go tell the mayor of Boston what we know. Go show him these checks. Go show him the videos of what these people have said, and not just videos, documents. Go show them what the FBI says about some of these people. Um, I mean, after all, we're the Jewish community. Uh, we only did good for Boston. Um, now you wanna bring in this group that's gonna be on, on top of us and not just us, not just us, but you know, they, they're not in love with Christian civilization either uh, or with democracy or with women or with gays and they refuse to do it and they refuse to do it. Um, so finally, um, comes 2015, 
after we we were not able to to stop it or to vet it or to insist on checks and balance uh, checks uh, security investigations uh, they sued the Boston Herald and they sued us and the Boston Herald lawyers told the Boston Herald stop your reporting stop your investigative reporting because this is going to cost you uh, uh, quite a pretty penny to defend. It was lawfare. I know it cost the organization that I was heading called the David Project about a million dollars in legal fees. I know it cost the uh, Boston Herald upwards of 500, 600,000. And the Boston Herald was running on a paper thin margin. And so they were able to, with this strategy of suing us, to shut down discussion, um, at least in the, in, the, in the places where it really, really counted. Uh, in the uh, and of course the Boston Globe would never think of reporting anything that was negative about such people because after all um, they're another minority and uh, another minority is going to be good and uh, we should if we treat them right they'll treat us right and after all uh, to the extent that they're a minority a different religion strangers of course America is going to be mean to them anyway so we will. Uh, We'll, we'll take care of that, the Boston Globe. Uh, the Globe refused to report. We met with them several times. I came down with bunches of documents that were incontrovertible, inarguable proofs that these people were, this was not going to be a good thing for the city of Boston. Um, and so by the 2015, there's 12 or, or 14 people here who are all connected somewhat in some way uh, with the mosque who were either in jail, dead, or on the, on the, on the run uh, from federal authorities. And these include the two Tsarnaev brothers who were part-time, at least part-time, uh, visitors to, to that mosque. And it included, and this is how broad-based, it included the woman on the top row, Afia Siddiqui, who was, the FBI called her, Lady Al-Qaeda, uh, she was a heroine to the radical Muslim community that was establishing itself in America. And I just want to show you in the next slide um, that she was the one who the man who took Jewish hostages in Coleyville at the synagogue wanted to free. And the reason is because everybody in the Muslim, radical Muslim community was saying, we have a duty, we have an, a holy duty to free Afia Siddiqui. And uh, there's even a little clip we have in the next slide, which will, this is a Boston uh, preacher. His name is Iman Abdul Farouk. And let's see if we can get that to play. Louder, louder. I don't hear a sound. Well, you would have to share sound uh, in the screen sharing. Oh, okay. I don't think he knows it. Well, I'll I'll tell you what he's saying. He's saying, uh, he's saying, um, brothers and sisters, don't be cowardly. Pick up the gun. Pick up the sword. Uh, pick up the weapons and go out. And we have to free Afia Siddiqui. This is what he said in a Boston mosque. And in fact, you know, it might well be that the fellow who uh, did take those people as hostage, heard exactly his, uh, or a message like that one. 
Okay, next slide. Um, the, all of what I've told you has been documented in a book written by uh, the uh, ex executive director, or I think he was head of research, Ilya, when he wrote this book. There's astounding things in here. And I just wanna get to the point of, uh, before I take questions, what's the point? This is happening all over the country. Uh, things like this are happening all over the country. I could tell you stories where we begged Jewish leaders, not just, not just me, but I know we got information from the Middle East Forum, we got information from Steve Emerson, we got information from research people around the country. We went to Jewish leaders who were doing dialogue and interfaith dialogues with these people, and they were giving them, by doing that, uh, a kosher stamp. That is, the Jews in your community are, are thinking that it's okay, that these people are okay, let's all sit down and, and work things out together and have dialogue about who knows what. Uh, next slide. So this is the national example that is the most heartrending to me. HIAS, which used to be called the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, which used to do marvelous work in helping Jews around the world who were suffering from anti-Semitism come make their way to America. Well, they ran out of Jews to bring over on their conveyor belt uh, because the Jews were doing better and there was Israel to go to. So what do you do if you have a good operation? Do you close down your shop? I mean, there are salaries here, there are grants here, there's money to be made. No, they just opened up the conveyor belt to anybody and now their uh, primary focus, it seems, is uh, Muslims uh, from Syria and other places, but Muslims from places in the world which ADL statistics themselves show are the most anti-Semitic places on the planet. And Hyas is just sprinkling America uh, with these people with no vetting. I mean, they do vet them for terrorism, but they do not vet them for uh, the bomb in the heart. They don't say to them, what do you think of democracy, Jews, women, gays, etc." And so these people are coming in and this is um, the fault of a failed Jewish leadership, which is globalist, which has forgotten its roots, which is embracing the left, which doesn't want to be accused of racism, Islamophobia, any of the bad things that it could be accused of. And so it's malpractice. The Jewish community leadership is, uh, it's, it's malpractice. And it's the biggest problem that we have. And so therefore, after 30 years fighting all of our external enemies, last slide, Ben, um, we've decided that the Jewish community anyway may not prevail against the tsunami of Jew hatred with the same kind of leadership that we have. And so we have uh, launched an effort to challenge Jewish leadership around the country and we've got over 12 teams around the country who are following our lead and uh, fighting back as best as they can. And I think with that, I'll stop. I think, did we hit our 15 minutes? Oh, a little bit over. Okay. All right, well, thank you so much. We have quite a few questions coming in. The first one is from Jeffrey Norwitz asking or stating the evidence of the Jewish denial of, of your four anti-Semitic forces uh, is inescapable. The question is why? Why do American Jewish leaders deny the obvious danger? Okay, so books have been written about this. And I, I mean, the, the best one right now to read is Ruth Weiss, W-I-S-S-E, -S 
Jews in power. So the Jews for the longest period of their history were dimmy. You know, they were, they were subjugated peoples, either in the Muslim world or the Christian world or the post-Christian world. And what they learned was a set of skills that is very important to survive. I mean, after all, we did survive with these skills of accommodation, of not having fights, of being conflict diverse. I mean, there are no Hittites around. The Jezebites are not here. You know, the, uh, we are here. And so you can't hate the fact that this was something, uh, this accommodationalism uh, worked. But, you know, one would think that they would have uh, turned the corner. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and also there are other reasons. I mean, most of these people are not elected by the Jews as leaders. They're anointed and appointed by uh, rich donors, and they all give each other big fat dinners. You could see their pictures having dinners and being and feting one another, you know, giving each other awards at ceremonies. It's uh, they're moral narcissists. They uh, they they just uh, want to be. They want to tell you how virtuous they are, and they're since they're clung to the left. It was Obama who said the clingers. Well, these people are really the clingers. They're clinging to some, a world that's not there anymore, and. Um, they cling to the left and they don't want to fight. And it's a horrible, horrible thing, not only for the Jewish community, but for America, because the Jews were right there to know and should know and were the best to know where the danger from this came from. Thank you so much. Uh, speaking of that, uh, David Edmund asks, how does Rabbi Eric Yofi, retired president of the URJ, get away with saying in 2001 that is Islamic radicalism is the Nazism of our day and doing nothing about it. Well, how they get away with it is that no one is accountable. How do they get away with allowing a Muslim Brotherhood mosque in Boston? How do they get away with allowing Rashida Tlaib and Ilan, uh, Ilan Omar to say anti-Semitic things in Congress? How do they get away with it? Because the Jewish community um, leadership isn't informing the, its own constituency about how bad things are. They don't want them to know. They didn't want them to know anything that they knew about uh, what was happening in Boston, et cetera, et cetera. So they get away with it until we fight back. And uh, there's about 30 or 40% of the Jewish people in America who believe like we do, like what these dangers are, but they're not organized to fight back. And you know, it's hard to fight back. Um, inside the Jewish community. But that's why we started challengejewishleadership.org to organize that fight. Thank you so much. Uh, Richard Cronenfeld asks, how do we get through to policymakers over the opposition of established Jewish defense organizations? Excellent question, Richard. Um, that's the problem because they are the ones who claim to be speaking in our name. You know, maybe we should have a different uh, title of our organization. Somebody suggested this. They don't speak in my name, uh, but they are speaking in our names. And so until we have an alternative Jewish organization, I know, for example, there is one, the Zionist Organization of America, which was there forever, is the one Jewish group that has the courage to stand up and show that our Jewish leaders are failing. Uh, but there's gotta be more, but they're, they're there. They should be supported, but there's gotta be more. There's gotta be one group that is targeting solely, forgetting about the external threats because we're not gonna win doing that, uh, at least we are not, uh, solely focused on challenging Jewish leadership. 
Thank you. JLS, most American Jews lean left and most mainstream Jewish organizations are run by leftists. Are these Jews and Jewish organizations a lost cause as to ever having the courage to speak out against politically incorrect sources of anti-Semitism? Maybe, uh, but I don't think all of them. And I see a shift and, uh, you know, people, people who are decent liberals understand that the liberalism of our grandfather's day is in, in our, when we grew up is not the same thing. It's being overtaken by progressivism, which is inherently anti-Semitic because it says that the world, the American society is split between oppressors and oppressed. And the Jews by, in, the, in the eyes of the progressives are the oppressors. So, uh, so classic liberals are waking up and fighting back. Uh, Barry Weiss quit the New York Times to do her thing. David Bernstein, who used to work with me at the David Project, um, is doing magnificent work trying to get liberals to understand that they have to fight back against all of these things. I think, um, I think Daniel Pipes and I once had a discussion about this and we concluded, I don't know if he said it or I said it, you know, maybe it's only Jewish blood in the streets and not arguments and logic and fact that's gonna do it. I hope that's not the case. As we all do. Uh, Larry Benak asks, why couldn't you go to the authorities directly to educate them uh, with the, the David project? We did. We did. And here's what happened. Here's what happened. We found out in the day, in, in, at some point uh, that there were teaching anti-Semitic things in, a, in, a, in the high school in a Jewish city of Newton. And we went to the mayor and we showed the mayor all of our things but the Jewish community leadership didn't want to have this fight. And so they told the mayor, they told the mayor, don't listen to them, they're exaggerating. So you, you really, you can, and we should go directly to those people. But if we don't speak in the name of the Jewish community, like the, like the establishment Jewish leaders do, it's a hard, it, it's hard, especially with liberal, uh, you know, policymakers and liberal, uh, representatives. Thank you. We actually have multiple people asking about this, but Rabbi Joel Schwartzman asks, how do you see Peter Benart? Uh, does he fall into the radical leftist category for you? <laughs> Very far into, uh, deep down the hole. I just, I, I, I have to hold myself back when you ask me about uh, Mr. Beinhardt. Listen, Jews have always wanted to escape the burden of being Jewish. You know, in the, in the Roman baths, when they went there, they, 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 they tried to reverse their circumcision. And I think of that when I think of Peter, uh, so that they wouldn't be Jewish. Uh, ideologically, you reverse your circumcision by joining uh, universalists. I mean, it used to be you'd have to become a Christian to escape the burdens of Judaism, or you'd have to become a Muslim, but along comes the enlightenment, then you don't have to do that anymore you can become a Marxist or a neo-Marxist or a citizen of the world or a global citizen. And you can look down upon all us Jews and say, you know, I care about the whole world and you only care about your little tribe. Uh, so Peter Beinhardt, um, aside from being not very smart, um, is a traitor, to put it nicely. <laughs> Instead. Uh, Lois Wiener asks, although I agree with you, I'm concerned about Jews against Jews and whether this will decrease our influence. Can you comment on that? Yes. And she's got a point. And the problem is, 
so many people on our side don't want to have a fight that shows the Jewish community is divided because we are a besieged you know, minority community. But guess what? The left has already broken that taboo and they're already out there saying terrible things. I mean, you've got the Jewish voice for peace and Jewish this and Jewish that who really are Jewish uh, in a way. Uh, they've broken the taboo. So, I mean, uh, it's like fighting with one hand behind your back. I don't want to do unilateral disarmament. We have a right and a duty to tell the rest of the Jews that our leaders are failing and to tell the population that our leaders are failing. Just one point. Just for fun, I read neo-Nazi literature, just for fun. And uh, you know what they say? They say, you know, it's the Jews who are bringing all the Muslims into Europe. And they quote rabbis who say, you know, uh, help the stranger, help the, you know. And it's, and it's true that the Jews are in the forefront of bringing, and the Nazis say it's because it's revenge for the Holocaust. We want to destroy Christian civilization. It's not. It's not. It's because they're dumb and they're crazy and they and they think universalist ways and they don't want to. They they call themselves people who believe in diversity, but they don't really believe um, that different cultures want different things. They just can't bring themselves to believe that. So it's a it's a danger. So we to answer her question, yes. It's too bad that we've got to tell the world uh, that the Jews are divided, but it's a good thing to do that now because there's a lot of people who are angry at Jews because of what these Jewish leaders are doing. Speaking of, uh, we have quite a few questions uh, on specific organizations. Uh, do you have like a list of the top three worst offenders and the top three you know, who are doing a pretty good job? Well, the Anti-Defamation League is the worst offender. It is a, it is a, it's a crime, it's a disaster. This was the Jewish Defense League. You know, this is the, where all of our treasure and, and all of our efforts and money is meant to, to protect the Jewish community. And they have abandoned us because they, they, they have a new religion, uh, leftism. Um, all the Jewish community relations councils around the country are terrible. They've been taken over by, by left-wing ideologues and they just support all of the, uh, the, the people who are going to hurt us. Um, another bet, Hyas is horrific, uh, even though it may not be Jewish anymore, it was Jewish. Um, the American Jewish Com Committee is a little better. I mean, uh, David Harris, their president, writes good things. But I do not see among any of these groups a new strategy. The world changed. All these left-wing groups who we thought we would get to support us by, because they were going to be reciprocating from our goodwill, they're the ones who are against us. I don't see any new thinking, new, new rethinking of any strategy. The good ones are the ZOA, CAMERA, Emmet, Stand With Us. But these are all, except for the ZOA, these groups can't were birthed because the Jewish establishment failed. There shouldn't, there shouldn't have been a need for them, except for ZOA. There shouldn't have been a need, but, but they, they came uh, to the fore because of the failure of Jewish leadership. They should all be supported. Along with yeah. Middle East Forum, which is not a Jewish group, but does, uh, is, a, is a let's save Western civilization group, so. It's, 
Thank you so much. Uh, so unfortunately, we've come to the end of our webinar. Before we go, though, can you please tell our viewers where we can find some more of your work? Sure. If you go to challengejewishleadership.org, uh, you'll find uh, what, what our strategy is to overthrow the, uh, the failed leadership. If you go to peace and tolerance, P-E-A-C-E-A-N-D tolerance.org, you can find a lot more on the particular Boston mosque, including videos, et cetera. Um, so if anybody wants to get in touch with me personally, I'm at charlesjacobs123 at gmail. All right, thank you so much. Uh, we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Dr. Jacobs, for joining us today. Thank you. Person for our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. We also had quite a few questions as to whether this recording will be posted online, and you can find that on our YouTube channel just by searching Middle East Forum on YouTube. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.